Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. Well, just ahead, a shopping binge at Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, and Free People. Plus, a new focus in cybersecurity called Zero Trust has one company's sales booming. And 5G is driving a big spend at Crown Castle. But is there more to that story? We'll have all that and more, but first... It's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. We're everywhere, but hit that subscribe button, follow us, download the show, catch every episode and let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on talk to us on twitter and instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website bizpod.net i'm Corey johnson welcome to the drill down we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move joining me as always executive producer isaac webster isaac tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today hey Corey. the three most important business stories of the day number one it's official Amazon is buying MGM for about $8.5 billion. Now, this is a big win for some hedge funds, including Anchorage Capital, which will make about $2 billion on a paper profit from Amazon's acquisition of the iconic Hollywood studio. Now, that's according to the Wall Street Journal. Anchorage was MGM's largest shareholder and invested less than $500 million back in 2010. The content play, obviously, this is about uh, a, a studio that makes a lot of content for a lot of the other streaming services uh, in addition to the movies and the library, of course, which Amazon will be acquiring and presumably coming to an Amazon Prime account near you. Jeff Bezos might also have access to those um, apprentice tapes that Mark Burnett's been holding on to. Mm. Interesting. Just a, little, just a little gossip going around Hollywood right now. Now, number two story that is actually two stories. The same trend, save the planet. First, activist investor engine number one, won at least two seats on Exxon's board after opposing the oil company's climate strategy, or lack thereof. This may force Exxon to pay attention to shareholder worries about climate change and alter the company's fossil fuel-focused strategy. Now, there's a big setback for Exxon and its CEO. The vote was seen by some as a referendum on the CEO's leadership, and it was, some of the most ex- it was one of the most expensive proxy fights ever. And at the same time, across the Atlantic, a Dutch court ordered Shell to reduce its carbon emissions by 45% by 2030. Now, this ruling is a first of its kind, and both of these stories go to show you that the the new scrutiny on oil companies that's beginning to feel, that they're beginning to feel from governments and investors. Stop polluting. Thanks in advance. Darren Wood, that CEO in the hot seat after a 20... Exxon, yeah. Exxon, excuse me. Yeah, 21 years uh, at Exxon. He's been the CEO since Rex Tillerson, 
as you may recall, was uh, drafted as Secretary of State by former President Donald Trump. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, the Wall Street Journal has learned Carl Icahn holds a roughly $400 million stake in Allstate, or about 1% of the company. That's a market value of over $40 billion. Icahn is reported to, fa to favor the insurer's moves to cut, cut costs and sell more products directly to consumers. The billionaire activist bought the position when Allstate shares were trading around $90 last year, and they're now trading at over 135 Wow. So he's already got about a 50% gain in that one. Interesting. Uh, uh, with Allstate, one of the one of those few insurance giants. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Isaac, let's talk about Dick's. Dick's Sporting Goods, I'm assuming you're talking about. DKS Keep shares rose. <laughs> it's a family show. It's a family show. Dick's Sporting Goods, really, DKS shares <laughs> rose 15% today, and they've gained 182% in a year. What's going on with Dick's Sporting Goods? All right, well, yesterday we talked about city trends and the, the boost from federal stimulus checks uh, going to their customers, uh, customers cashing those checks and heading out to the mall in the store and buying stuff at City Trends. Well, we saw the same business trend from Dick's Sporting Goods uh, with uh, their latest quarter that they just reported. Now, the company was already doing well, but it saw the customers cash those checks and headed to the mall of the store and bought stuff. Sales were $2.9 billion in the first quarter, up 119% in comparison to 2020, and 52% higher than the level we were seeing in 2019. Now, profits, yes, they had profits of $361 million after a loss of $143 million a year ago. Now, Dix is seeing some stickiness in its outdoor home gym and stay-at-home activities. Um, all those categories did well for Dix uh, during the, the, the biggest parts of the pandemic. But there's new demand for traditional categories um, like sports and other kinds of activities resuming, uh, helping them with sales growth. But the question is, you know, now what, right? Uh, and how might a further federal stimulus drive results in the critical back-to-school shopping period at the end of this summer? They're already making plans at Dick's. Here's the Dick's CEO, Lauren Hobart, and the CFO, Lee Belitsky. Back to school, we think, is going to be big. Uh, a lot of a lot of opportunity to to meet needs both on the field and and in the classroom for athletic apparel and footwear. So we're leaning into it. We have a great marketing campaign planned. We've got great products coming in, um, and we're expecting it to be a strong a strong season. I recall it last year. Back to school, I'd say, was smaller than typical because a lot of kids didn't go back to school, and it came later. Because many of the many schools were delayed for several weeks before they got going. So there's a, a big opportunity between the child tax credit that's coming uh, and the smaller and delayed back to school to you know get the third quarter off to a good start. Dick Sporting Goods getting its start in what city, Isaac? That's right. Binghamton, New York. It's a fishing company. There's a lot of great fishing up there in Binghamton uh, in the Finger Lakes and the rivers up there. Now, Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Urban Outfitters. Urban, uh, uh, fantastic quarter results reported here. Urban Outfitters, URBN shares, they rose 9% today, and they've gained just 12% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Urban? Well, uh, this quarter was one for the record books, uh, CEO Richard Haynes said. Indeed, uh, his prepared remarks in the conference call sounded like he was trying to write poetry. He was talking about going from the headwinds of COVID to the gale winds uh, supporting the company now. 
It was, it was a little much. Do you know who once said, we cannot direct the wind, but we can just adjust the sails? Dolly uh, Parton. Gibran. Oh, that was my next guess. Dolly Parton. Never forget. All right. Well, I want to hip you to two phrases that I'm hearing a lot of in retail conference calls. One completely new, one's an old one. But uh, first, the numbers. And they really were amazing for Urban Outfitters. Sales for the three months ending in April were up 58% year over year. Comparable sales at stores open a year ago compared to now up 51%. And that includes online. They have three brands, and all three brands crushed it on a year-over-year basis. Urban Outfitters up 42%. Anthropology up 50%. Free People Group up 77%. But a lot of these stores were closed a year ago. Yeah, how are they coming up with these numbers? So this phraseology, uh, I remember yesterday we had uh, City Trends comparing it to 19, 2019 numbers. Well, they've made that an abbreviation now in some other companies, not least of which Urban Outfitters. Uh, LLY. So if LY is last year, LLY is last last year. Uh. So it's a comparison to the last normal pre-COVID year. And even if you compare it to LLY, last last year, these Urban Outfitter results were fantastic. So let's do LLY comparisons. Urban Outfitters, up 10% LLY. Anthropology was flat, but Free People Group was up 14% over LLY. Again, usually same-store sales are in these single digits. You know, 2 3% growth from a store is really good on a year-over-year basis uh, when inflation is kind of flat. But 10 14% growth over LLY, it's just fantastic. The other term we hear in these uh, retail conference calls and we have for years, is she. She, as in the prototypical customer of Urban Outfitters or Free People or Anthropology, it's, it's she. So listen to what CEO Richard Hain had to say in a long soundbite about what he has learned about she and what she is up to post-COVID. Uh, there's a very strong uh, demand in the market right now, and that demand, I think, is um, there because she's just beginning to emerge from a, uh, a 15 months of lockdown when she couldn't get out. She's incredibly anxious to get out and uh, be with friends and, and be social again. Uh, the last 15 months, she's, as I said, been locked down and wearing, uh, you know, sweats and and track pants and lounge and the sorts of things you do when you're just at home. And now that she's uh, wanting to go out again, I think she's starting to see that she might need to refresh her closet and she's buying things that are more appropriate uh, uh, for outside wear and for meeting other people and being social. So I think the demand's there. The demand is still there in the, on the home side. And I also think that because over the last year, uh, she hasn't been able to engage in many other activities that uh, used to compete with the retail business for her dollar, uh, that she's reasonably flush with uh, cash and, and has very little place to spend it right now. Most of the, most of the areas are still uh, just beginning to open. So I think that we are benefiting from that as well. Sounds like she is all dressed up with no place to go. I got a question. Does Urban Outfitters not sell men's clothes anymore? I used to shop there all the time back in the day. I know that my daughters uh, are big fans of the (laughs) Urban Outfitters Anthropology Free People uh, trips. 
And I think that that really speaks to exactly where we are with COVID right now, which is COVID's receding and not gone. Things are opening, but not open. Mm-hmm. And people are ready to get the hell out of the house, out of the sweats and track pants. And she is looking better every day. Well, what about me? I guess I'm not you one of the customers. I guess I'm not one of the customers anymore. Anyway. <laughs> no, you look great, Isaac. I'm just kidding. You could have said them. Uh, that would include all of us. All right. So, Corey, what is your next drill down? Them is plural. Well, I hate it when do they, they not have more than one customer? Singular person. Do they not only, do they have just one customer? One all right, sheet? let's move on. All right, all right, all right sorry. Right. Semantics. Corey, what's your next drill down? No, we're not talking about semantics. <laughs> we are talking about a cybersecurity company, a different one. We're talking about Zscaler. Zscaler, I really like this story. Um, ZS shares rose 12% today, and they've risen 154% in a year. What's new with Zscaler, Corey? Okay, this is the biggest company we've talked about so far on the show today Yeah, uh, in our top three companies. But maybe Zscaler is the least known. Zscaler, a cybersecurity company based in San Jose, California, the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, it has $26 billion market cap, as you mentioned, bigger today after reporting first quarter results. The sales were $176 million, 60% higher than a year before. And the company losing a lot of money, losing $25 million. Uh, from its operations in the quarter. Now, two weeks ago, we were talking about FireEye and the hack of the Colonial Pipeline. Is Zscaler a competitor of FireEye? Uh, it is. Okay. Um, you know, I, a friend of mine, Brian White, uh, who's a former Homeland Security guy and is in the cybersecurity world, he he sort of took me aside once to say, you got to think about these companies, these security companies, as really kind of one problem solutions, that none of them really address everything and that they 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 solve a certain problem that a company has and a company ultimately might have six or seven different uh, uh, security, cybersecurity solutions imp- deployed. But Zscaler does take a very different approach than their competitors. They say their traditional competitors rely on a castle and moat approach that is trying to keep the home base safe from attack by walling off or creating a moat around the most critical resources for a company. So almost by definition, that's about protecting the server or protecting the data center. But what we've learned in the last year is when you work, uh, you know, work from the office became work from home or even work from anywhere. And so those kind of moat-like solutions like VPNs, virtual private networks, that would protect your bases, that approach is really cumbersome and really slow. Zscaler says its offerings protect customers from cyber attacks at the device level. So they're encouraging uh, users to just use whatever they want to use, but they really are trying to protect the device, not thinking of things like protecting the castle in the center of a network. I, I love this idea. So how does it work? So it's a concept called zero trust. Zero trust is not exclusive to uh, Zscaler, but uh, it's centered on the belief that companies shouldn't automatically trust anything. Anything inside or outside its parameters. So the software, uh-huh. Zscaler, uh, in this case, it's got to verify everything and anything trying to connect to its systems before granting access. So every user, every device must be verified first. And that zero trust approach has been driving Zscale sales. And as you have headline grabbing attacks like the Colonial Pipeline, which you measured, and especially the Solar Winds attack uh, from last year. Look, yeah. this isn't just about corporate. It's about a leadership response from the Biden administration that seems to be driving sales at Zscale with this zero trust approach. Here's the CEO and founder, Jay Chandri. We have been hearing 
enterprises talk about zero trust more and more for the last 12 to 18 months, especially after some of the solar wind type of attacks. Um, this is this picked up steam. But no, it's good to see that federal government is waking up and saying they need to do something. It's good to see a very clear directive coming from Biden administration. So I thought that was super interesting that really it is a different uh, uh, administration in the White House really driving companies and driving both uh, government spending, but also sort of giving some guidance for private corporations like the guys who own the Colonial Pipeline, which we talked about in yesterday's show. All right, next, our guest, Palio's Joe Greco, is going to help us drill down in the giant wireless tower builder, Crown and Castle. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Well, joining us right now in the drill down is Joe Greco of Palio. He brings to our attention a company called Crown Castle. A look at uh, what's going on in the business of building cell phone towers. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Corey. So, uh, Crown Castle, why this company? Um, it's it's a p- particular company because it's so deep into the world of technology, and yet uh, it is not structured like other tech companies. No, certainly quite quite different when we think of tech for sure. Um, you know, these are the folks that get these signals across the miles and uh, and to us. So um, w- the big the big draw for me is the story that's been building since the company was founded. You know, originally Bob Crown and his wife started the company by going literally door to door and raising uh, awareness around the idea of getting accumulating a portfolio of towers to send these signals. And they they went and interviewed not just every employee, but saw that this company grew based on relationships. And so I don't think they focus so much on business, but they focus on relationships. That's been a reflection of his brand, and it carries through now with Crown Castle, even with the uh, the ownership, management, and leadership of the board today. I was shocked in reading the 10K that that actually comes through. Like, you don't see SEC filings that That's speak right. to values, but they actually speak in their 10K filing of one of their core competencies is their three Bs, or maybe they called it the B3s. I don't know. It was, it was, it was uh, be real, be accountable, and be an owner. And I just thought, I don't know if it's uh, what they would call in Pittsburgh, hooey, but hooey or not, uh, it was interesting that they would put their culture right out front uh, at, in describing what their company is to investors. I think you have to go no further than looking at their own website. And you wouldn't think that a company that operates uh, cellular towers across the world would have really a story to tell or have a very compelling web presence, but they do. And they certainly uh, pull away from the pack, especially the behemoth leader, American Tower, with how they convey their story, their message, their value chain and what they do out in the marketplace. And it is quite different, not just from tech companies, but also from what the larger and the other competitive companies, more competitive companies do. 
in that they don't just look at putting up the towers, but they also have other ways that they make sure that information and communications are carried across miles, whether it's for municipalities, private landowners, or even companies that have multiple locations in a geographic region. And so it's a much more compelling story than simply just throwing up a tower and sending a signal out and then the landowners get a, uh, get a leasing fee for the, for the activity. Right. So this company owns a lot of stuff, 40,000 towers, 80,000 miles of fiber, another 80,000 small cell towers, which are the things that go on top of telephone poles and parking lights and so on. Uh, but the business, talk about how their business works. Who, what do they own? What don't they own? Who are their customers and how do their customers contract with them? Sure. Well, they own the real estate, right? They do qualify as a REIT. They own the land in many scenarios. In some scenarios, uh, relationships, they don't own the land, but they actually operate on long-term leases, the towers that they put. So they're responsible for bringing in the infrastructure to a private landowner or uh, another realty trust or whatever it may be, a, a corporation that has air rights above their building. And they will put together the uh, the tower. They'll manage the leases with the signal providers, the the, the communications companies like uh, Verizon or ATT, and they will collect the profit on those as well as the ones that they own outright. Um, additionally, they provide a tremendous amount of service. Uh, companies, especially in the healthcare industry, you have regional hospital organizations and networks. Uh, cropping up everywhere, you know, the roll up of all of those where they will deliver either dark networks or uh, just interconnect regional offices so they can have an intranet that's apart from uh, the, cl the cloud that others might have access to and gives them an opportunity to, to access that recurring revenue on their balance sheet for 20 plus year leases. Yeah, these leases go on for quite a while and it creates some sort of certainty around their business. They, they boast of having um, uh, remaining customer contract receivables of $27 billion their customers will owe them over the course of these contracts. Big numbers, yeah. So when you look at this business, it really is, you mentioned the hospitals and, and potential other customers they might have, but it really is uh, an American business principally, and it is T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T in that order in terms of customer concentration. Um, and you mentioned... Uh, you know, the 5G and the growth in 5G, it seems like that's the game here is 5G growth. Uh, you know, there is, of course, growth in cellular and growth in data demands, but this really is about 5G build out, which all of the networks are, uh, all the three major carriers are going after. Look, it's 5G build up. And some people say, well, there's a risk there. What happens when that gets to the next level? What happens with a disruptive technology between now and uh, time three, five, seven years out? Indeed, I was about to say that. Those yeah. people was about to be me, the person. I was yeah. going to be the person saying, yeah. what about after 5G? Yeah, well, look, the cloud the cloud is not going away. And so access to the cloud, both uh, general cloud services that are provided by the biggest of tech, right? Or intranets and, and smaller self-contained clouds that are closed networks for larger organizations like the hospital networks, like EDU. I mean, the EDU space is going to be absolutely a front runner in the consumption of services that are going to be provided by uh, both American and Crown Castle Towers. I, I, Sorry, I see EDU? that as being a next big part. What's EDU? 
Uh, educational systems. So universities, everything that we've seen that's come out over the last few, uh, the last year and what we've learned from COVID in, in terms of what the university model looks like, we're going to see a much more outreach. You're going to see these smaller or mid-sized regional uh, colleges and whatnot getting rolled up in a system just like the hospital uh, networks have shown, have shown to uh, consolidate. And as that happens, there's going to need to be some higher level of not only consistency, but uh, protection against outside intrusion. And to do that, you look to companies like Crown Castle to provide that network connectivity. And you know, micro-trenching, do we know what micro-trenching is, Corey? Have you heard of that Go one? Go on. It's isn't, pretty, that when it's, you, it, isn't that something you do with your eyebrows to make them thinner? You could do you could micro trench to, to make your no, eyebrows. No, that's micro there. threading. No, wait, that's a different on the, cosmetic on the weekend surgery thing. with friends. You could micro trench if you wanted to. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's micro dosing. And so instead, micro trenching is it, it. First and foremost, the lead on that article is it reduces traffic when they've got to put fiber all across town. So right. I like it already. Instead of going two and three lanes wide and having all sorts of people, they make a trench that's like two inches wide and a couple of feet deep, and they lay the fiber that they need to, whether it's between uh, geographically close or locally close uh, facilities that are operated under the same owner, right, their client, or for the municipality because they need to lay 3,000 miles of cable in a much shorter period of time. So when you look at something that normally would take a month to do and disrupt a major amount of traffic flow, now they've got it down to, to like maybe a week possibly even four working days and a significantly reduced amount of, of uh, disruption to the traffic pattern. So that to me alone says they're so forward in thinking this and using this as a, as a value prop, they can start to accumulate these contracts in the same way they accumulated relationships early on in the 90s. They're going to accumulate these contracts with the private vendors or with the publicly traded companies that are looking to connect several different buildings in one major metropolis. And they're going to be able to win the day. American Tower is certainly not positioned to do it. Neither is DLR or some of the other uh, prologists and some of the other uh, competitors. Microtrenching was not mentioned in their 10K, but I believe you. Um, <laughs> Go to I, their website. Like I said, the way you, you tr if you trust a company by what they, how they tell their message and how they tell their story, you like the idea of the B3 that show up in the 10K. Go to their website and look at the experience. It's an actual experience for a company that puts up a cell tower. I mean, how boring of a company could it be? But they've got a story there and they talk about how they have case studies that show you what a dark network for a, for a, uh, a hospital group, right? A regional hospital group can look like and how the impact can be very much positive for the entire community. Interesting. There, there also um, is a sort of a barbelled approach, if you will, about where they're building out uh, not just everywhere, 5G being, you know, focusing on major metropolitan areas, but really kind of doubling down in urban areas where people, a lot of people are, they're having to expand, but also growth in rural areas. And I've got to think that the infrastructure plans being discussed in Washington, D.C. are going to lead to a lot more fiber and cellular uh, in rural areas to expand rural internet because we're at a point now where broadband isn't something nice to have. It's a need to have for everybody in society, at least in American society. One of the one of the clearest come outs of our experience in the pandemic is rural property is now in focus. Rural property is now experiencing a resurgence in demand. Rural property is where the urban dwellers are going to find that can that have the means are going to find relief or perhaps even relocate to. 
And that trend, even though it may die off a little bit as we go into, uh, as we come out of this pandemic and there's a lot more clarity on how things have gotten, people are, have tasted what life is like when you have a balance between the concrete jungle and the farmland. And so not only are you going to connect the people who are already there, but you're going to see a shift and it's going to be much cheaper and much more, not just economical, but much more attractive all around to build organizations and have headquarters and uh, centers of particular industries where otherwise we had silos and corn and cows. And so you, if we you, you saw that, that in the, in the John Deere results, you actually saw a big surge in small tractors and turf, their, their division that deals with small farms. And they said they really saw that during COVID people moving to farms. Uh, you're giving me PTSD from the phone service out in the Hamptons where I spent all of last <laughs> summer and, and every summer. And you know, you know about this, how bad it is out there when you take a turn down a road where all the richest people in the world are living and the freaking cell phone service is non-existent. Well, and in, if you have three or four helicopters passing overhead at the same time, then they just chop the Wi-Fi altogether. It really disrupts your streaming capability if you're just trying to get through like a binge session on Netflix. I do find it to be the 1% of 1% problems. <laughs> if only, if only. Uh, I, I also think it's interesting about these guys, about what 5G means. I think it's hard. I have a hard time really understanding what 5G is going to mean. I read uh, Verizon did a test recently where they did, they got 3.6, if I'm not correct, it could have been 3.4 gigahertz speed on 5G. 4G is at 100 megahertz. So you're talking about a four to, to 5,000% faster wireless experience with small devices, I think it's just going to, I can't even get, wrap my head around what that means for the kinds of devices that will be connected to the internet. But it absolutely means the demands on um, uh, the, the bandwidth and demands on the service providers and the demands on Crown Castle Towers is going to be infinitely larger than anything we've ever even envisioned. Well, what, well, first off, we have to stop at plaid, right? We can't go right to ludicrous speed. So they're trying to keep <laughs> us in this certain level where at least we have the capacity to address the wearables surge, the, the need to have many different devices connected. And the way we compress these devices down smaller and smaller is that we have them actually doing less computing on their own and instead really just interacting with the cloud. And so Edge the, more, the more we see dumb that going. De dumb devices where the computing is happening and, and the cloud happening at AWS, whatever, that That's means it. all even more traffic on these Crown Castle towers. That's it. All, all we need, we need, we have, we have transmitter receivers, you know, that's it. We have very high tech, very cool, flashy, neatly uh, organized uh, transmitter receivers. And so as those increase and the numbers aren't just because of watches or necklaces or things that we wear, but they get smaller as wearables in clothing and give us stats on how we're, how we're feeling. And they could change maybe the fiber compression of a jacket to make it either warmer or cooler. Those are things that, you know, the leading edge of, of fashion, the leading edge of tech, and certainly the leading edge of the internet of things, right? That consortium are looking to push forward. They can't do it without having a major influx of data that can just fly through the air faster than before. So if you, you know, and it's exponential, you go from the metrics that you just set up to 3.4, uh, that, that number is far beyond what we might've expected, but it's probably going to be just enough. I've used the, uh, you know, the Manhattan, uh, river crossing, uh, uh, rule of thumb, which is 
it's amazing. Um, it's amazing to add two lanes and it's like, wow, how, why do we need all that? And then as soon as they finally are done with the construction project, you realize you need two more lanes. So right, right. I think they have a similar problem in LA. Well, we've seen it and it's hard to imagine, you know, we've seen a hundred X or 96 X increase in how much capacity is going across networks uh, just in the last 10 years. Again, these numbers get hard to imagine. But to, but for this company, they're not projecting that kind of growth. They're they're sort of saying steady Eddie, you'll see eight percent dividend growth over the the you know over the next few years. They they don't really see this going through the roof. This 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 stock and this company has kind of kind of seen just steady Eddie growth. Well, remember, yeah, we're not talking about this is going to be a breakout. N- no disclaimer that you should expect a multi-ax return on this here. But as you said earlier, uh, this has certainly become more of a necessity. This is certainly moving toward that you know ubiquitous right of all American citizens to have access to high-speed broadband, 5G when it's available, and you know a complete connection to the cloud no matter where you are, subterranean on the top of the mountain in the middle of a city. And at this point in time, I look at it and I say, you know what? Crown Castle has a higher dividend yield than American Tower, even though American Tower dwarfs it on their top and bottom line revenue and growth. Their payout ratio is significantly higher. It's almost 20 basis points higher than American Tower. So when I look at them as the biggest in the industry uh, versus the biggest in the industry, I think Crown Castle is actually doing a really good job of managing the profitability of the business and also staying ahead of how all that translates over into, like you said, a slow and steady, but very attractive for an 80 uh, PE ratio, 80 plus PE ratio yeah. stock right now, I believe that that's, it's a company that could easily see a 250 or a 300 on the stock ticker, on the stock price in the next, uh, within the next six months or so. I'm not a prognosticator on that. Full disclosure, I am an owner of the stock, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm playing it for you know a significant 30 to 40% growth, even though they're only prognosticating for something that's a uh, you know, high single digit. Yeah, and I, again, I, as always, I'm much more interested in how the business works than, and I think it's more useful to know what the business is than to try to figure out the of course. mechanics of the finance. But it, uh, it is interesting to watch this business grow, and I do think that the the infrastructure plans, if they ever make it out of Washington D.C., could lead to a lot of growth for these guys in the near future, uh, and more wireless for us all. Joe Greco, uh, we're grateful for your time. How can our uh, uh, listeners stay in touch with what's happening at Palio? Uh, you're active on the, on the Twitter, yes. I am active on the Twitter. I'm on the Instagram. Uh, I do have a I do have a profile elsewhere. Uh, the website is straightforward, polioinc.com. So that's P like Peter, A-L-I-O, Inc.com. And besides doing professional development and performance coaching with some of the uh, C-suite across the companies that are talked about on your show, Corey, we have a lot of fun talking with executives about what their strategy is, how they're leading uh, their business, how they're leading themselves, and how they're blending their personal life into their brand. You know, we believe that that is largely the story that's been created over the last decade plus as the economy, as the workforce, as the uh, global marketplace has matured quite a bit more from where it was, say, pre-global financial crisis. And certainly, as we come out of the COVID era here, we believe in people and we do believe that there's a great story developing as the individual, the personal side blends with the uh, professional side of people's identities. How about that? Uh, Joe Greco, Palio, thank you very much. Well, up next on the drill down, the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about uh, T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon. Let's pick one. The massive amount that Verizon is spending on 5G build out 
But how much is that in the last 12 months? To give you some context, uh, Verizon used to spend about $10 billion a year in CapEx. The number's been bigger of late, but how big? We'll have that number after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. Hit that subscriber button and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about the massive amount Verizon is spending on 5G. Well, how much? Verizon has spent over 12, uh, in the last 12 months, I should say, Verizon has spent $17.4 billion in capital expenditures. That's about $2 million every hour, Isaac, just in the last 12 months. My God, they could siphon some of that off for us. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. Whether you're sending us a check from Verizon or not, we do appreciate you. I'm Corey Johnson. (laughs) Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.